Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Verse number 14 is a verse I want to focus in on, and it's going to launch us into the rest of the passage. Verse number 14, if you have your Bibles there, you can read together with me. It says, Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. And I want you to think about that word profit for just a moment because in ministry and in the Christian life, it can get very easy for us to be very busy about the Christian life, very active, kind of a lot of motions going on, but not a lot of productivity, not a lot of profit, not a lot of effectiveness. And in the Christian life, we can't just be busy and active. We have to be effective. Amen? We've got to be effective, actually accomplishing something, moving forward. And in the Christian life, it all begins with becoming more like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So when we come together as a church, when we come together and we're worshiping together, when we come... I hope that we'll be able to see the profit of, at the end of this service, the Lord has spoken to our hearts, we've grown in a relationship with God, so that we are more like Jesus Christ. If we come and we leave the same as we came, we have not been profitable, right? We've not been profitable. Oh, we did a lot of things. Oh, we said a lot of words. We sang some songs. Maybe you talked to some people. But if we have not grown in our relationship with God, have we been effective? So that's the church service here. When you think about some of the things that we do in a church service is to facilitate that profitability in terms of growing to be more like the Lord. Singing the songs that we sing is important because that is a part of what God wants for us to do. Singing is something that God has given to us, amen? And you find that in the Bible, Jesus, he sang... Uh, the disciples, they sang. Remember Paul and Silas, when they were thrown into jail, what did they do? They sang. Singing is a part of the Christian life. And so let me encourage you. Uh, I, I know that, you know, we start our services at 930, and that might be earlier than some people are used to, but coming here and being a part of the song service is important. It prepares our heart for the Lord so that when we get to the preaching of the Word of God, we've kind of been into this uh, zone and kind of this mentality of, I'm here to worship God. I'm here to hear from God. And I don't know about you, but if I'm late and I'm in a rush, you know, I walk in and I might be there, but it takes me a little while to kind of get there mentally. You know, I, I'm just rushing and trying to get there on time. I'm trying to rush there and get there and get all the kids and all of that kind of stuff. And I, I know how it can be sometimes in the morning. The morning doesn't always go exactly as you plan it, right? Sometimes you miss an alarm. Sometimes things happen. Of course, we know all of those things. But if we can get together and sing songs and hear the preaching of the Word of God so that we might grow to be more like Him and we leave this service changed, then we've seen some profit. If at the end of this service, y'all have walked in and we all walk out exactly the same way that we came in, the sins that we harbored in our heart are still unrepented of and we have left with those sins. If our heart has been hardened against serving God and when we walked in and we left and our heart was just as hardened, uh, then we really need to rethink what it is that we're doing here 
as a church, and particularly when we think about, you know, there's a world out there that is opposing God. There is a world out there that is the enemy of God. They don't want God. They don't want what God is preaching and, and saying in his word about righteousness, about sin, and about judgment to come. We've got to be effective. And so that's what Paul is focusing in on in verse number 14 when he says, Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. He's saying, don't focus in on all of those things that won't be profitable to you as a Christian. Sometimes there will be times in which you've got to cut some things out of your life because they are not profitable. It's not necessarily even that they are sinful, but sometimes you've got to just say, you know what, this has really been cutting down on the time that I spend to the Lord and give to the Lord, or a time that I could give to my family, or time that I could give in prayer. And so our goal here as Christians, assuming that you're saved here at Bible Baptist Church, you're saved, you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, your focus should be on how can I be more like the Lord and how can I grow in profitability? Because we are servants, and we want to do the work of the Lord and be effective. So I want us to see some considerations that Paul draws to our attention that I think will help us to be profitable in perilous times. The first of which is our crucial responsibility. Verse number 15. It says, study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So as individual believers, we've all got our responsibility. If you're a member of Bible Baptist Church, the illustration that God uses is that we are a body, right? And everybody has parts, members together, and every member has a role. Every member has responsibility. My hands got a responsibility, my eyes got a responsibility, and my eye cannot delegate that responsibility to the hand, and the hand cannot delegate its responsibility to the nose. All of these things. We've got our own responsibility. So here Paul is giving the responsibility to Timothy. This is your job. This is your responsibility, and it's the responsibility of every one of us as Christians as well to have this responsibility and he begins to outline this study to show thyself approved unto God and we ought to be students of the word but I want to dig in a little bit deeper because uh, we've really got to know what this means see when we think about students you just picture what does a student look like what does a student do you're probably thinking about somebody sitting in a classroom right maybe they're sitting in high school sitting in elementary school maybe sitting in a college classroom uh, maybe you're even thinking about somebody sitting in this auditorium we are students learning the word of god but we all know that there are better students and worse students right students are really students and students are just there and uh, we, we've all had experiences and sitting in classrooms and you can, you can tell, right? I remember one time uh, when I was in college, uh, my family and I, we went over Christmas break, we flew over to Korea to go see our family. And so over Christmas break, we went over to Korea. Actually, we stopped over in Hawaii for a layover for a couple of days. And so my dad was looking at the tickets and he realized the layover price is just as expensive as flying direct. So Hawaii's kind of on the way, right? Let's go to Hawaii. We're like, yeah, let's go to Hawaii. So we went to Hawaii during Christmas break. 
it was great. It was like 80 degrees, sunny, the water's like 80 degrees, you know, you walk in, it's great, you know, it's wonderful. We had a great time. Then we flew to Korea during Christmas time where it's like 30 degrees. <laughs> so we went from 80 degree temperature, you know, t-shirts and shorts to like, I need another jacket, you know. I wasn't prepared for this. How do you prepare for a trip where you're going to be in Hawaii for a couple of days and then you're going to be in Korea for another couple of days? We went over there. It was freezing cold, uh, but we had a good time. You know, we were with family and all of that kind of stuff, and, and we flew back. We flew back the morning that my college classes began. We flew back, and we arrived on a Monday morning at 5 o'clock in the morning. My first class started at 8 o'clock that day. Not only that, I had six consecutive hours of classes on that first day. So I tried to, I knew this was coming, so I tried to sleep as much as I could on the airplane, but as you know, it doesn't always, you don't always get the best sleep on an airplane. We landed, and I got there at five, and I was like, there's no real point in me sleeping, so I'll just go stay up and go to class. So I went to class, and I, I you know, I did my best, and I started going through these classes. The last class that I had was physics. Physics was two hours. We were sitting in the lab, and you have 50 minutes, then you have a break, then you have another 50 minutes. I sat in class, and I was paying attention in class. The next thing I noticed was everybody was moving around, and my head was on the table. <laughs> and I realized I had fallen asleep in class. And I realized, wow, you know, I'm just really tired. The next thing that I thought was, I wonder what the professor thought. Here's this guy, first day of class. He's already sleepy. <laughs> It's not going to go too well, you know? And we, we've had those moments maybe when you fell asleep in class because of an unusual circumstance, but we all know that there can be better students and there can be worse students, students who learn a lot, students who don't apply themselves, all sorts of different students. Well, the word here for student, or the word study, as you see here, study to show thyself approved unto God, comes from an old Latin word that means to strive after. It carries the meaning of diligence and zeal. So in the old days, if you were to talk about somebody who was a student, it wouldn't necessarily just be somebody who was sitting in a classroom, although that's probably what you would find. A student would be somebody who is zealous and passionate about applying themselves to a certain area in terms of education. And so when we see this word student, it should carry with, it, with us in this mind of not just, all right, my parents are making me go to class. I got to go to this, you know, take this class because I don't have a choice. It's, you know, it's a required class. I have to go to this class, but I'm not really interested in this class. So I'm just going to show up, you know, take the attendance chart and just kind of try to pass because I'm not really interested. Well, if you were to take a look at the old word for study and student, you would say that guy's not really a student. Because he's not passionate about it, he's not really applying himself. And so our approach to studying the word of God begins with our attitude in worship. The start of our studies ought to be passion and zeal. So when the Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, it carries that meaning of, I'm passionate about the word of God. And if we're going to face these perilous times and be profitable about them, You've got to have some passion, amen? You can't just go through the motions and be profitable. 
You can't just kind of stand in line and just kind of go where everybody else is going. You've got to have some passion. You've got to have some zeal. And so when Paul is, is telling Timothy, you've got to study to show yourself approved unto God, he's saying, get some passion. Light a fire in your heart and in your soul and get after the word of God. And so when we come together as a church, we take a look at the word of God, our goal here, if we're going to be profitable, is we've got to be passionate about it. Amen? We've got to be passionate about it. When you go home and read your Bible, it's not just ticking off, you know, the check marks of reading the, your Bible every day, but really getting in there and saying, God, what, what do you have for me today? I want to learn something today. I want to know you a little bit more today. There's a passion that's there, and you can see it. It's not that people can't be passionate. Everybody's passionate about something. They're passionate about something. They're passionate about their sports team. They're passionate about making money. They're passionate about their career. They're passionate about some video game. Everybody's passionate about something. But if we as Christians are going to be profitable, we've got to be passionate about the Word of God. Passionate about learning and studying the Word of God. And he continues in saying that we've got to have the right approach because studying the Word of God is work. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. This word for workman in the Bible is most associated with this idea of harvesting, of going out into the field and harvesting. And I like that picture of when we get into the word of God, we're out there to harvest the word of God and consume it and be strengthened by it. I think there's a great picture that's there. But if you're going to go back to the old days of what does it mean to be a harvester, it's a little bit different from today. See, if you're a farmer today, you probably have a John Deere tractor. You've probably got some combine machine on the back. And you're basically just sitting there. In the, in, in, and I'm not saying it's easy work, but still, you're just sitting there. And the machine is doing all of this work. You're just kind of driving by. It's you know, pulling up all of the corn. And I've seen videos of it. They've got all these specialized machines for everything. You, know? you think about carrots. You know, carrots are in the ground. How are you going to do that? Well, they got these machines that they basically go into the ground and they pull up all of the carrots and they separate them out from the dirt and they let the dirt go and they, you know, drop off all of the carrots, you know. Uh, if you're going to do that by hand, it's a lot of work. Well, in the days of the Bible, they did do it by hand. And yes, it was a lot of work. So if you're going to go out into the field and let's say you're, you know, harvesting some wheat, you know, uh, back in the day, a lot of the ways that people would do it was that they would have something on their leg. They would have kind of some protective wrapping on their leg, and they would basically have some sort of a knife, you know, like kind of a sickle shape. And they would basically go out into the field, and they would basically wrap around a bundle of, of wheat and basically push it against their leg, and they would cut it with the knife and then put it in their bundle. They would go through the whole field that way. You can imagine, that's tough work. You can imagine your back would get tired after a little while. You can imagine being out there in the, in the heat of the sun in August and September. It gets hot, you're sweaty, you're weary after a little while. But that's what God is using, that word for workmen. And he uses that picture in other places in the Bible, I think, to help us to understand, hey, if you want to bring in the fruit of the harvest of the word of God, you got to work. You got to work at it and you got to study it because studying the word of God is work. How many of us, if you want to memorize something, you got a test coming up in class. 
how many times do you really need to go over that, you know, that formula? Or you've got to memorize that poem. Or you've got to memorize whatever it is in class. You know, how many times are you pouring over it and repeating it and repeating it and repeating it and writing it down and trying it again? And you're, you're going with a friend and you're quoting it back and forth to each other and helping each other. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. And God is telling us that if we're going to be profitable in our studies in the Word of God, it's going to take some work. So I apologize to all of you here today that thought, that receiving the word of God and having it to be profitable would just be like, you know, popping a pill of vitamin C and saying, all right, I got all my vitamins for the day. You got to work. You got to get into the word of God because it's important that we rightly divide the word of truth. See, as believers, as Christians, we're trying to study the word of God and rightly divide the word of God. We've got to correctly take a look at it, read it, and understand it. The Bible does make it very clear that our teacher is the Holy Spirit. If you want to understand the word of God, you need a teacher. And your teacher is not necessarily me, it's not necessarily your life connection teacher, wherever he may be. Your primary teacher is the Holy Spirit. So when you get down and you read your Bible, you've got to have that Holy Spirit there teaching you, getting in there, studying it and learning it and understanding it. Because we've got to rightly divide the word of truth. That word for rightly divide is a compound word that contains this part of cutting and doing it right or cutting it straight. So the idea of rightly dividing the word of God means to cut it straight. A couple of times in, in the Bible when you see that word for right, it, it, it gives this impression of stand upright on your feet or make straight paths for your feet. So the idea of rightly dividing is to cut it straight. Now, why is it important that we cut it straight? Why is it important that we rightly divide the word of God? It's because we're trying to build something here. Amen? We're trying to build something here at Bible Baptist Church. And the reason why we need to cut it straight is because it's really hard to build with building blocks and building parts that are not straight. Parts that are crooked, parts that are twisted and warped make it difficult to build something well. When I was living in my parents' home, we had uh, to, we, we were doing a bunch of things around the house. We were painting the rooms and all sorts of things. And there was one room, a bathroom, that needed to be re-wallpapered. And I'd never re-wallpapered anything. You know, I'm, I'm, I've never even done that. But I was tasked with this assignment. All right, here's the wallpaper. Put it up on the wall. All right. So I'm trying to figure out how to do this. And my parents applied everything. Here's your wallpaper. Here's the glue. Here's the little squeegee thing or whatever to make sure that it's smooth and everything. And uh, so I went in there. And I was like, all right, where, I, where do I even begin? And I thought, well, probably the most logical place is you start at a corner. Now, I don't know anything about wallpapering. That might be 100% the wrong thing to do. But that's what I thought. I thought the corner is where it's straight, right? It goes straight up from the floor to the ceiling. So that's where I'm going to begin. 
And so I started there, you know, you got to cut the wallpaper to make sure it's the right length and do all of that. And so I got that first piece up and I was trying to be very careful, making sure everything's perfect because you got to have that wallpaper. It's got to line up exactly with the one that's right next to it. So I'm trying to make sure that it's perfectly straight and, and I got it up there and I looked at it and I was like, okay, I think this is right. And so I started going down the line, started going down the wall. By the time I got to the, the next corner though, I looked at it and I was like, there's something not right. And I was looking at the wallpaper and I was looking at the next corner and they weren't lining up. And I was like, oh no, I messed up. Oh, I made a mistake. So I'm looking back over it and I'm like, maybe it's shifted over at the top and I kind of overlaid it. So I'm looking down at the first one. Now the first one's right, second's right, third one's right. And it's about the fourth one that I get to that corner and I'm like, something's not right. These two things aren't lining up. And it took me a while. I started looking around and looking. I looked up at the corner in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the bathroom, and I realized the reason why my wallpaper lined up with this corner, but not with that corner, is because the walls weren't straight. What I realized was this corner, the line didn't go straight up. It actually went up at an angle. And I don't know exactly why it was, you know, the building may have shifted or whatever. I, I, I don't know any of those things, but I realized that, oh, I did it perfectly straight here. I did it perfectly straight here. I did it perfectly straight here, but that corner over there is not straight. And that's why, all right, now what do I do? I got to, you know, kind of do it in kind of a weird fashion and try to, try to make it work. And I realized how important it is for everything to be straight everything's got to be cut straight. Everything in your life needs to be cut straight. You know why? Because when we talk about, we're trying to build something at Bible Baptist Church. Well, what are we trying to build with? We've got to build with some material, right? You want to build something? You need some material. What's the material that we're building with at Bible Baptist Church? Are we building with concrete? Are we building with wood? Are we building with paper? What are we building with? You know what we're building with? You guys. <laughs> you know what's the material? The building material of Bible Baptist Church is us. You and me and all of us. And God is the master builder trying to build something here at Bible Baptist Church and he's trying to gather some materials together in order to build up Bible Baptist Church. You're the material. Now, I don't know which one is which. I don't know which one is the window. I don't know which one's the doorknob. I don't know which one's the ceiling. I don't know which one's the countertop. I don't know which one's the, you know, all of that stuff. I don't know who's who necessarily. I just know this, that God has gathered some materials together and said, all right, I'm going to build. Because remember what Jesus said? I will build my church. I'm going to build it up. But I need to get some material first. So he sends out some uh, uh, people, those that are soul winners, to go reach people with the gospel so that they might be saved and added to the material supply for his church here at Bible Baptist Church. And we've got a nice foundation, all right? You've got to have a good foundation, all right? The Bible makes it very clear. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And then we've got the apostles and the prophets. We've got the doctrine that was laid out by the apostles and the prophets, the Old Testament and the New Testament. We have the word of God on which to build this church. 
Ephesians chapter 2, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an, ab, uh, uh, for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So what God is trying to say here is, all right, we live in perilous times. You know what I'm going to use? You know what I'm going to do in these perilous times? I'm going to build up my church. I'm going to build the church. And what he's going to do is he's going to take the materials of the members of Bible Baptist Church and build up the church. So what is our responsibility in that area? Our responsibility is to make sure that we give to Jesus Christ good material to build with. Amen? You know what that means? We've got to be pure. Not as many amens. <laughs> We've got to be pure. We've got to abstain from sin. We've got to live holy lives. We've got to put our trust in Jesus Christ on a daily basis. We've got to follow God. We've got to get into the word and understand what God has for us and cut our lives according to the word of God. If God says, here's something that needs to be shaved off because you're not fitting in, this, this part doesn't fit, We've got to shave it off, amen? Right? We've got to add something on. We've got to bolt some pieces together. God says, you've got to bolt this onto your life. We've got to bolt it onto our life. Add it into our life. And, and what God is trying to say is, we've got a responsibility. We've got to trust God, yield ourselves to the Lord, and say, God, here I am. Use me. I will go. I want to be a part of this building project that you've got. You can use my life. You can use my lips. You can use my hands. You can use my time so that you can build up your church so that there'll be a wonderful lighthouse in this area, in this community, while we are living here in these perilous times. The second consideration that we have is our compounding results. Because Paul warns that if we don't rightly divide God's word, then we'll end up with a catastrophe. The beginning might seem minor at first, but the end will be a disaster. When I was in college, I took a year off in the middle of college. I, I graduated high school, I went to a public university, University of Washington, for one year, and then I took one year off. Took a year off, I went to Bible college, I went back and I graduated. I highly recommend that. Parents, if you've got a kid, I highly recommend that. We've got a great Bible college close by, I highly recommend it. It's not mandatory or whatever to be a member of Bible Baptist Church, but that was so helpful for me, developing relationships, learning some of the doctrine, really condensing teaching down, very helpful. So I would encourage parents, consider that. Teenagers, consider that. that. That would be helpful for a lot of you. So I did that. I took a year off, and I went off to Bible college for a year, and I made some friends, and I actually met some of the kids of one of the missionaries that my church was supporting. Uh, there was a missionary in Argentina. He had a couple of boys uh, that had graduated high school and went to the Bible college that I went to, and we became friends. And so we, you know, I got to know them and uh, learned so much. Anyway, I was there, and there was a church that is there that's kind of the, the, the pastor of the church at the time was also the president of the college. That's not the case anymore, but it was the case at the time. And so anyway, if, if you don't have a church that you're already going to, obviously I just moved in. And, uh, you know, it was in Oklahoma, and so I didn't, you know, didn't have a home church, so I just went to that church. 
I remember the pastor telling this story. They had a big, beautiful building, and they had, you know, brick facade and everything. They had this entranceway that was made of glass. And I remember him telling the story about this entranceway that they had built. And they were talking about, they had ordered the glass, you know, they had the architect design everything, they ordered the glass, they brought everything in, and the installation guys started to install the glass there in the entranceway. So there's these huge pieces of glass that go up, they kind of come in a little bit, and they go up like to the bottom of the third story. This is about two stories tall, and you know, there's a bunch of double doors, you know, all along that side. And so they, they, they had built this thing, when I got there it was already done already, but he, he was talking about it, and they began to install this uh, uh, this glass, and uh, I don't know exactly how it was. I guess it was already put together or something like that. Anyway, they had put it together, and they were starting to install, but for whatever reason, it was slightly off at the bottom. It was like less than an inch off. It was leaning slightly at the very bottom, less than an inch. He said on that first piece on the bottom, you could barely even tell. But when they had gotten to the top, it was about a foot and a half off from where it needed to be. And they're like, no, there's no way we're going to make this work. So they had to tear it all down. I guess they reordered pieces and put it back together again to finally finish it. What God is trying to tell us as students of the word, we've got to be diligent to make sure that we cut it straight. Because if you don't cut it straight, you might look at it and think, Oh, that's not that big a deal. That's pretty close, right? But as you build on top of it, you begin to lean farther and farther and farther to the point where maybe you're trying to make some connection, let's say to the next generation. That next generation will be so far off, you'll be like, there's no connection here. So we've got to make sure that we're careful of little things because little things compound into big things. You know, I don't usually get too much into finance here, but let me tell you what. If you've got, like, credit card debt, get rid of it. You know why? That compounding effect becomes so negative that it becomes difficult to get out of. It's better not to get into it. And so what God tells us is, if you don't take care of some things now, early, and make sure it's cut straight, then you're going to end up in a catastrophe. And he tells us the beginning of it in verse number 16. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. He uses the word profane, and he compares it in Hebrews chapter 12 with Esau. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Why did he sell his birthright? Because he viewed his birthright as less valuable than the meal he was about to eat. His value system was off. That's how you can tell somebody is profane. Their value system is off. They value things that are not valuable, and they don't value those things that are quite valuable. They overvalue the things of the world. They overvalue the temporary things on this earth. They overvalue the physical things that they can hold in their hands, and they undervalue the spiritual treasures they can lay up for themselves in heaven. They undervalue the eternal things that they can have forever with the Lord. They undervalue the heavenly. So where does it begin? It begins with overvaluing the things of the earth and undervaluing the things of God. That leads to an emptiness. He uses the word vain. It simply means empty. 
And empty seems harmless, right? Empty seems better than poisonous, right? Do you want poison or do you want an emptiness? All right, I'll take the emptiness, please. No poison, please, for my life. All right, that seems pretty obvious. But catastrophes rarely start with a big bang. Catastrophes often begin with little things, little mistakes, seemingly minor mistakes, seemingly mistakes that nobody notices. There's a hurricane that's going to roll through, you know, Louisiana, you know, the Florida panhandle, that area soon. I have a friend who uh, just dropped off uh, his two daughters for college in that area. <laughs> so he posted on, online that he got a notification from his airline, your flight may be canceled or delayed. Great, there's a hurricane coming through. What do you want me to do? <laughs> you know, and so he, he's over there. But if you remember, just a few years ago, there was another hurricane that rolled through New Orleans that kind of wiped out a huge section of the city, all right? Now, I've never been to New Orleans, never visited, never lived there, I have no idea. But I never even heard about some of the problems that were the reason why it was such a catastrophe, right? New Orleans lived for many years with seemingly, at least from an outsider perspective, no problems, right? Did you know about the problems of New Orleans before Hurricane Katrina rolled through? Probably not. Maybe some of you did, but I, I, I highly doubt it. I didn't know there were problems there. The citizens, many of them, I'm sure, didn't know that there were problems there. In fact, a lot of people who were responsible may not have even known that there were problems there. But when the hurricane rolled through, there was a big problem. And catastrophes rarely start with the hurricane that rolls through. It starts with the building process ahead of time. Catastrophes like avalanches don't start with a huge bang. They start with little light, fluffy snow that falls onto the hillside that looks so pretty and you take pictures of it and you think, wow, snow. I love snow. I love playing with the snow. I love skiing or snowboarding, all of that kind of thing. But when it builds and builds and builds and builds and builds, guess what? Avalanches come and that's when the real problem can arise. But I think as Christians, we're probably smart enough, at least we know what the Bible says about right and wrong. But he uses a word here, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. That word babble means foolish, incoherent, or excited See, this is where I think a lot of Christians get caught into, I know this is what the Bible says, I know I had to cut my life this way, but they don't do it that way. Why is it? Often it's because they get caught in the excitement of the world. Another word that we might use is the word hype. The hype of the world. The hype of social media. The hype of what people in this life who live for this world promote as the most important and exciting things that there are to have. Now, we as Christians ought to be excited, amen? Because we have something really worth being excited about. We have salvation, amen? We've, that's worth getting excited about. We have a home in heaven. That's worth getting excited about. We have our sins forgiven. That's worth being excited about. And mature Christians recognize the difference between hype and value. Because anybody can hype up some worthless thing. 
but it takes somebody who's mature to recognize what's hype and what's value. What's really worth it? What's really the thing that I want to hold on to? Maybe it's not as flashy, maybe it's not as exciting in, in terms of appearance, but this is a thing of real value. See, if you've got little kids, little kids don't understand value. You know what they see, though? They see excitement. They see excitement. You ever have a kid, maybe your own kid, and you're trying to get them to do something, and they're like not, they don't want to do it? You're trying to, you know, encourage them. Hey, you need to go, you need to go. Sometimes you try to trick them. Hey, I got something really exciting for you today. Are we going to do something great? We're going to love it. What are we going to do, Dad? What are we going to do? We're going to go to school. Yay! Wait, what? School? Oh, no! <laughs> right? You can almost trick them into being excited about something that they're not excited about. You know what the world does to Christians? So I got something exciting for you. I got something exciting. I got a big pile of money for you. If you'll just live for me. I got a lot of exciting things that you can experience if you'll just live for me. And what God is saying is, don't buy the hype. Don't buy the hype. Live for God. Be a mature Christian and recognize. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust doth not corrupt and where thieves do not break through or steal. For where your heart is, or for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What God is telling us is, hey, you know where it all begins? It begins with a profane and vain babbling, a value system that's off, that leads to an empty excitement over at the end of your life, looking back and saying, I gave my life for that? I got to give it all up anyway. Then we see this advance, verse 17, and their words will eat as doth the canker of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. That word canker is the word for which we get our word, cancer. And their word will eat as doth a cancer. How many of you know somebody, or maybe you've even had it yourself, know somebody who's had cancer? Right? I know somebody. How did they go through that treatment process? How did they approach, all right, I got to change the way that I live. I can't be eating these foods anymore. I'm cutting out all of these things. I'm, I, I got to start exercising. I got to live better. I, I got to take out some of these things because this cancer is going to start eating me alive. And they go through some extreme treatments chemotherapy, radiation, surgery. It's a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of even wondering, is this even worth it? But you know why they do it? Because the cancer is going to eat them alive. And they say, I don't want it, I don't want that. So they'll do anything in order to get rid of it. Now, as Christians, there's a cancer that is out in this world that's sin. And if you let it, it'll eat you alive. Now, that doesn't mean you'll lose your salvation if you're saved, but it, it'll eat you alive. 
And if you approach sin the same way that your friends or maybe you yourself treated cancer, nothing is too extreme. Amen? Nothing is too extreme. I don't care what it takes. I don't care how I have to live. I don't care what I have to pay. I want to get rid of it. What God is saying is, we live in perilous times. We live in dangerous times. And if we're going to be profitable, we've got to think about this ungodliness that grows and eats like cancer does. Because in verse number 7, their word will do as a canker of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. We won't go through the verses, but Hymenaeus, if you've read 1 Timothy, will recognize the name. In 1 Timothy, Paul mentions two individuals that were a negative influence, Alexander and Hymenaeus. Alexander is mentioned later in 2 Timothy. We'll get to that when we get there. But here we see Hymenaeus. But then we see another name, Philetus. You know what cancer tends to do? It tends to spread. Hymenaeus found a friend, and he spread his ungodliness. Now there's two of them. What Paul said in 1 Timothy was, you've got to take care of Alexander and Hymenaeus. They're being a bad influence. And then 2 Timothy rolls around. And instead of Alexander and Hymenaeus, guess what? It's Alexander, Hymenaeus, and now Philetus. You know, as Christians, sometimes we've got to be ruthless. We've got to be ruthless in cutting out influences and saying, you know what? God loves you, and I love you, but you're not being a good influence. I don't think we can hang out anymore. All we talk about is ungodliness. All we talk about is criticism. All we talk about is worldly things. And I try to witness to you, and you shut down the conversation every time. I want you to be saved. Or you're a Christian. Why are we living like this? Why are we doing this? Look at the world around us. Why are we doing this? Why are we falling into this worldly lifestyle? Why are we becoming the Hymenaeuses and Philetuses and Alexanders of the Bible? There are people that need to be saved. There's, there's a cause that God has called us to. And what Paul is saying to Timothy is, hey, we've got to be careful because it can grow. And what's going to happen is, in verse number 18, he says, who concerning the truth have erred. These two individuals, the one started out by himself and he got a friend. Now the both of them, concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. If you don't stop it early, guess what's going to happen? Their faith will get overthrown. How many of you know somebody that used to be faithful, but they're not faithful anymore? How many of you know somebody who is on fire for God, but they're not on fire anymore? We love them. We pray for them. But guess what? Somewhere, it started small. And then it got bigger. And then it got bigger. And Satan got them. We pray for them. But we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful because results are compounding. Thirdly and lastly, we see our conclusive reaction. Verse number 19 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having the seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart. 
from iniquity. First of all, praise the Lord. What we're preaching about today is never a matter of salvation. Once you're saved, you're always saved. Praise the Lord for that. You don't ever have to worry about that. You can never lose your salvation. No matter what you do. You say, how is that possible? The reason is you're not saved because of what you did. Because you're not saved by what you did, you can't lose your salvation because of what you did. The illustration that God uses is born again. What did you do to be born physically? Nothing. You were just born. And once you are born, your parents are your parents forever. They will never not be your parents, and you will never not be their child. In the same way, once you are born again, your Heavenly Father is always your Heavenly Father. And you are always the child of God. Praise the Lord for that. But, it says, let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now, we've talked about being a student of the word of God. When it comes to this being students of the word of God, we've got to make sure we cut it right. Otherwise, catastrophic results will come. But I want you to think back to when you were in school. How many of you had a class where you attended the class, and even while you were in the class, you thought, I am never using this again in my entire life. You ever think that? You ever been to college and took calculus? And while you were in calculus, you were like, when am I going to need to do integrals and derivatives? <laughs> Anybody ever do any of those things? Probably not, right? Maybe, I mean, you did it in class, but what about since then, right? Some of you may think, I have never used it since then. I will never use it again. I don't even know why I took the class. But I want you to take a different perspective, okay? Somebody's taking a calculus class, and they want to become a calculus teacher. They need to take calculus class, amen? Amen? We've got to take calculus class if we want to be calculus teacher. That just makes sense that you would need to take that. In fact, they would think, I have to take the class. I want to take the class. I need to take the class. I'm going to take the class. In fact, I'm going to review the class from time to time to make sure I know what I am teaching. Now, I want you to go back just a few verses, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. You know what the role of us as Christians, as students is? Our role as students is to grow to become teachers. Okay? You, as a child of God, should grow to become a teacher. Not necessarily of a formal class or anything, but you should grow to be a teacher. Because, let's say you become a parent. You got to teach your child, amen? And your children are going to ask you questions that you're like, wow, I never thought of that. Let me get back to you. And then you know what you got to do? You got to go study. Guess what? You're going to be in a Life Connection class with a Christian who doesn't know as much as you. They just got saved. Or maybe they're returning to the Lord. Or maybe they just never read their Bible, never studied, never learned. we got to teach them. 
Amen? Whose job is it to teach them? It's our responsibility. We have a job to teach. And so God is, is telling us that we, as students, need to grow to be teachers. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So if God is going to use us to build up a building, we've got to be more and more like Christ, aligned with him so that when he builds us on top of himself and that foundation that he's given to us, we will grow straight, built strong. Becoming more like Christ is the goal. So when you come to church, when all of us come to church, our goal ought to be, I want to be used of the Lord I want to worship God, so I've got to be more like God so that God could use me and build up his church. That's what we're doing. And when we do that, then we can be profitable even in perilous times.